and we're going to start a brand new series today, and uh, we're, we're going to ask you to turn to the book of Revelation. Don't be nervous. So, uh, the book of Revelation is really an interesting book because a lot of people, a lot of people are kind of almost afraid to read it because of all the... Uh, really amazing stuff that's in there uh, as John kind of gets a glimpse into the future and kind of the end, how God kind of wraps everything up. Uh, But I'm not going to go that far into the book of Revelation. Um, We had a a 21-week study in the book of Revelation that lasted 21 years, actually. It was (laughs) pretty amazing. And uh, it, it, was, it was very good, but uh, sometimes in the midst of trying to look at all the end time stuff, I think sometimes we neglect to identify what God has to say in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. And just to kind of give you a, a, a backdrop, Jesus appears to John. John is in exile. He is by himself on an island called Patmos. He's been punished uh, for preaching the gospel. John is the only one of the disciples who did not face a martyr's death. Uh, He was sentenced to exile on this island. And while he is by himself... On this island, Jesus appears to him. And that whole account is in chapter 1. And what Jesus tells John to do is to begin writing. Writing seven letters to churches in Asia. And so what we're going to do is take a look at each of those seven letters to those seven churches. Now, what's interesting is that there's some people that believe that um, those letters don't speak to us today. The first letter was at such and such a time in history. The second letter had to do with another time in history. And, And right now, we're living out the seventh letter, and that's the only one that matters. And I will tell you, I totally disagree with that. I believe that what Jesus had to say to these seven churches, uh, Jesus has something to say to his present church in the 21st century. And I got to be honest with you, I I was wrestling with doing this. Um, If you've been with our church for any amount of time, uh, I've I've preached on the seven churches before. Uh, And I thought... I almost had this argument with Jesus this week. It was like, I really don't want to do this. And Jesus was like, well, you're going to do it. I was like, I don't want to do it. And it's, you know, we have these conversations. And, uh, of course, he wins. And, uh, and, and so I, I really feel that God really wants to speak to us. And he wants to speak to the 21st century church as we take a look at what he had to say to these first century churches. Some of these locations, maybe you've never heard of before. Others, like today, 
You've probably heard of them. Uh, today, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to look at the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. This is the church that was dealing with their first love. Today, I want to talk about your first love and what the Lord might have to say to each of us this morning. So, are you all ready for this? All right. If you're able to, why don't you stand with me as we read God's Word together. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you can look on the screen and uh, you can follow us there. So here we go. I'm reading out the New International Version today. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, and this is Jesus dictating this letter, by the way, okay? So these are the words of Jesus. Understand this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So far, so good, huh? Would you agree? Verse 4, yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. The King James Version says, you have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that the words of this letter that were addressed to the church in Ephesus would speak to this church in Talmadge, Ohio, and that you would speak to those that might be joining us online, wherever they might be watching from. God, I pray that you would search our hearts and our souls today as we examine your word together. And Lord, I'll thank you for all that's done. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this. And we all said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I think the scripture on the screen is from the New Living Translation, but it's pretty close, so hang with me as we're uh, looking at the Word together. Now, if you ever want to do a fascinating study uh, of the Bible, of a particular subject of the Bible, study Ephesus, because it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Acts chapter 19 is when we first stumble upon this church. Paul established this church in Acts chapter 19. And then he wrote a letter from prison to this church. That's the book of Ephesians. But it doesn't stop there. Paul then wrote a letter that we have in our Bible, two letters actually, that we have in our Bible to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. His name was Timothy. So 1 and 2 Timothy also deal with Ephesus. And then 
here we have in Revelation chapter 2 another reference to obviously a very important city in the Bible. And I believe that the words that Jesus had to say to this church in Ephesus, well, he has something to say to us as well. And you're going to notice in this series, here's what you're going to notice, okay? Jesus has a, a pretty much a regular pattern when he writes these letters. He'll say, hey, I'm Jesus, and here's what you're doing right. Good on you. Now here's what you're doing bad. Not good. Here's how to fix it. And here's the incentive for you to fix it. And, and we see this pattern in almost all seven of these letters, and just like here. And so this morning, let's just look at four really important parts of this letter that I believe Jesus gives us and he gave to the Ephesians. And let's really see what God might have to say to all of us individually, okay? First of all, let's start with what I would call the compliment. How does Jesus affirm, how does Jesus compliment this church? Before we get into what this church did wrong, before we get into their mistakes, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say was to their good. First of all, look again at verses 2 and 3. Okay, verses two and three, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered that they are liars and have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And then skip to verse six. Jesus also says this, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Now, obviously, Every single person here knows what the deeds of the Nicolaitans were, right? No. So let me explain that, okay? That's why it's important that you go to church, by the way, so you can have this stuff broken down for you, all right? The Nicolaitans, they had this doctrine that said, yeah, Jesus died for you, but you can do whatever you want because he's kind of given this, this, this sin license where because he died... That doesn't mean you can be forgiven. It just kind of means you're excused. But you can just kind of keep on doing what you want to do because, well, he loves you, but he doesn't expect you to live correctly. Boy, that sounds familiar, by the way, doesn't it? And so, so Jesus is, is really complimenting this church. How many of you would agree they had some good things going on? They, they, they've endured hardship for Jesus. They had been tested. In fact, when people did try to bring up uh, false doctrine, they would test it and say, ah, oh, that's not right. So that's pretty good. In fact, before I go any further, let me challenge you that way. Okay? There is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with testing the spirits that are out there. In fact, John says this in his letter in 1 John 4, 1, that we should test every spirit. How do we do that? We covered this in our Wednesday night class. 
How do we do that? We test every spirit by the word of God. We test every spirit by the word of God. If somebody claims something is from the word of God, then you should have no problem looking that up and saying yay or nay. That's why I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. I don't mind if you're looking through your Bible while I'm preaching. Is what he's saying, is that accurate? Go for it. Because I promise you this, the last thing that this pastor will ever try to do is preach something to you that is contrary or extra than God's word. And so it's good for us to do this, especially in these times, because there's a lot of doctrine out there that just is not correct. And again, just because they have a TV show and just because they have a Canadian post office box and just because they have a book and just because they have a following doesn't mean that they're right. So we should know God's word well enough that we could say, "Uh, no, 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 that's not right. We don't need to fall for deception. How many of you know that being a Pentecostal Christian does not mean that we check our brains in at the door? Not at all. We are led by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. The Spirit speaks to us. So this church, this church had a lot of good things going. I compare that to Bethel Church. Bethel Church, we might not be a mega church, but let me tell you, we got some good things going on in this place. We are reaching people that, that, to be honest with you, church is three, four, five, six times our size. They don't even know how we do what we do. They say, how do you do it, pastor? And I say, I don't know. It can only be a work of the Holy Spirit. This giveaway thing that we were talking about a few moments ago, trust me. We, and and I've, we got leaders that pull this thing. I mean, that, wow, I've got a team. But you could have the best team. But without the blessing of God, you're not going to see anything. And we got great people. We got very giving people. One of our core values is generosity. We've got some good things going on at this place. This is a church that I am proud of. You are a church that I brag about. You are a church that I talk about positively away from here. And I can't say that about every pastor that I know. And I mean that. There's a reason why I've been able to stay here 22 years. Because we love you. But, (laughs) I love you, but. (laughs) That sounded like a country song. It sure did. I love you, but. (sighs) It's possible, folks, and I want you to hear me today. It's possible to look like everything is right but have something seriously wrong spiritually. And this is what you have in, in this passage. you got a group of people, they were doing a lot of things correctly, they were doing things right, but there was, there was something seriously wrong. So wrong that Jesus had to bring it up and address it. You say, Pastor, how can that be? We, we do all these nice things. I do all these nice things. I'm involved in this. I do that. I do this. I do that. Lots of do's. <laughs> Do-do. Lots of... But here, here's the thing. And this is a danger. 
we must not, we dare not confuse what we do with who we are. You could preach the gospel to thousands, but there could be something seriously wrong with you on the inside. We've seen that. So we have to separate the things that we do from who we really are. Who are we when nobody is looking? Your reputation, you, many of you have heard this, your reputation is what everybody sees of you. Your character is who you are when no one's looking. We need more people of character than anything else. So that was the compliment. But let's get to number two, the complaint. The complaint. What did Jesus have to say to this active church that was doing a lot of things and had a lot of good things going? Here's what he says in verse 4. I had this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Wow. Again, the King James says that you've forsaken your first love. Those of you who might be more familiar with that. New International Version says you've forsaken the love that you had at first. But I really love how the New Living Translation puts it because that's exactly where I want to go. I believe that this church had lost their love for the Lord. How could that be? They were doing a lot of stuff. Because you've got to separate what you do from who you are. They forsook their first love. Now, this can happen, church, real easily if we're not careful. We could take spiritual things for granted. I'm talking a lot, by the way, to people, you've been with Jesus for a long time. Okay, you've considered yourself a Christian for a long time. This is especially scary for those of us who have been doing this Christianity thing for quite some time. I've been saved since the age of nine. So that's like 20 years or so. Or so. <laughs> but what happens? We, we begin to take spiritual things for granted. The, maybe I could describe it this way. There's no happiness in God anymore. Loving God with everything within us that seems like an extreme statement. The fancy term is hyperbole. We, 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 we say, oh, I love you. Or we sing these songs. Here we go. We, we sing these songs. I love you, Jesus. But, but do we really? Or are they just words on a screen? Where are you with your love for God and the things of God? 
If you were no longer involved in any kind of ministry, would you still have a strong love for Jesus? If you were deserted on an island like John was, would you be able to say, I love Jesus? They lost their first love, their first love of God. Maybe that's your case today. In fact, I will tell you, in this age of being so busy and so connected, sometimes I think we can be guilty of, and I want you to hear this, we can be so guilty of doing spiritual things without remembering why we do them. Why do we do this? Is it for the right reason? Is it because I love God? I want to make him proud and make him famous. Or do we not even know anymore? But there's a second aspect to losing your first love that I want to address. And again, that's why I loved verse 4 in the New Living Translation when we read it. Not only did they lose their love for the Lord, but I believe they may have lost their love for each other. Remember when I told you you could do a fascinating study on Ephesus? Okay, Paul had to deal with their earthly relationships in the book of Ephesus. And he had to deal pretty strongly with different sets of relationships. Let me kind of give you the breakdown. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, he deals with the relationship between a husband and a wife. The relationship between spouses. And he had to devote a lot of attention to that relationships, to that relationship. Then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he deals with the relationship between parents and children. And then he deals in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 6 of the relationship between masters and slaves, or what we might call your boss, bosses and employees. Maybe you feel like a slave. (laughs) But isn't it interesting? Out of six chapters in the book of Ephesians, Paul had to deal with this church not only, get this, on their heavenly relationship, but he also had to deal a lot with their earthly relationships. Not to mention the many times in the book of Ephesians that Paul deals with how Christians should care for one another and love one another and how the church should be a place of love for one another. And Paul had to constantly, constantly harp on that and deal with that. And then here's Jesus now saying, hey church, you lost your first love. Could it very well be, (laughs) could it very well be that there are people who will claim they have a love of God, but they don't have a good love for the people that are closest to them. May I be blunt? That's unlike me. But if you're, if you're a husband and you call yourself a Christian and you treat your wife like trash, I, I seriously question your salvation. 
Boy, that got quiet. (laughs) Don't tell me how much you love God if you can't even treat your wife the way that the Bible tells you to treat your wife. Ladies, you're not getting out of this. Sing all the praise songs that you want to and tell me that you love Jesus, but if you don't love your husband, and if you don't treat your husband the way that the Scripture tells you that you need to do so, then there's something wrong with you spiritually. Students, boys and girls who are in kids' church, youth, if you claim to love Jesus, but you can't even obey your parents, you have something seriously wrong with your walk with God. Have I offended everybody? I think I covered it. Your earthly relationships are a reflection of how good your heavenly relationship is. Let me say that again. You may want to write that down. Your earthly relationships are a reflection of what your heavenly relationship looks like. If we've lost our first love for either of those, then we need to do something about it. We can't continue in this way. Which brings me to number three. Let's look at the correction that Jesus gave them. He gave them a compliment. Then he had a complaint. But thankfully, he gives the correction. And let me just say this. Jesus will never, ever uncover something that's wrong in your life without giving you the answer to fix it. Let me say that again. Jesus will never expose something wrong in your life without giving you the way to correct that and to make it right. That's what God does. So it'd be wrong for me to say, okay, you lost your first love. Good night, everybody. Jesus has something to say to us. And he gives this correction in, in verse 5. Here's what he says. Look how, I think reindeer are, are on the, I don't know what's going on. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, boy, there's a word we don't hear enough about anymore. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Okay, pastor, what's all that mean? Let me give you a three-step correction that Jesus has for us if we have lost our first love for God or for each other. Number one, remember. Remember. Again, it's wild what he says. He says, consider how far you have fallen. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, look where you are now. Look how, look how you used to be. Can you think of how things used to be? You used to be so in love with Jesus, and now you're not. And Jesus wants you to remember that void, that distance that has developed. He says, come on, remember how things used to be and where you are now. You need to make a change. Things need to be better than what they are right now. Remember, secondly, the word repent. Now, what's repentance? Let me demonstrate. 
Let's say this podium is God. Probably not the best example, but here we go. When I drift from God, and how do I drift from God? Sin, forsake my first love, not very deliberate in my walk with God. So what happens? I begin to move. Now, notice the podium hasn't gone anywhere. This is for those of us who think that God has left you when you've been doing all the walking. God's not going anywhere. But, but we, we drift. I'm out of the shot, I'm sorry. And then repentance comes when we say, oh, Jesus, forgive me. Now, it doesn't stop there. Because here's the deal. Some of us will, some of us will hear a message... And we'll say, wow, man, I need to do something about that. Oh, that's bad. God, forgive me. I'll see you next Sunday. Repentance is catching yourself where you're at, remembering how far you have fallen, and you turn around. The word repentance literally means to turn around. And you turn around and you come back to the Lord. Jesus is saying, don't just feel sorry. Change. Oh, let me say that again. Don't just feel bad about this, church. Change. Change. There needs to be a deliberate change, a deliberate desire to make a change. Do things differently. Well, man, ever, ever since I've been going to this place, Ever since I've been taking up this habit, ever since I've been doing this, I've been drifting from God. Okay, you just broke it down. Turn around. Stop doing that. Ask God for the courage to give that up. Ask God for the strength to be able to make a change in your life. You can't do this alone, but through God, you can do all things, the scripture says. You can deliberately make a change. You can say, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I haven't prayed to God other than bless this food, amen. I haven't prayed to God in months. I'm going to start praying to him every day. Guess what? You're coming closer to God. I haven't read God's word forever. I don't even listen to five minutes with Phil. Oh my goodness. <laughs> selfish plug, selfish plug. But I'm going to start doing that because I want to get into God's word. You're taking more steps. You're coming closer. Do you see what I'm saying? If you want to change, you got to stop the wrong things that you're doing and start doing the right things again. And, and, and by the way, oh, I love this because I want you to catch what he said. Do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. Here's the deal. See, some of you, you get over here. I should have picked a different spot. I'm sorry, Sue. But we, we, we get over here. We're far away from God. And we think, oh, okay, now. Now I got to go to Africa. And I got to reach the pygmies there and eat tree bark and memorize Leviticus. And, and, and. no. Jesus is just saying, look, remember what you used to do. Just go back and do it. You know, I'm not asking you to do anything new right now. We're not at that stage. You just need to go back and do what you used to do. 
Oh, are you catching this? Because this is huge for somebody. Because we keep thinking we got to reinvent the wheel spiritually, and we don't. All we got to do is go back and do the stuff. We, we need to pray again. We need to read the Bible again. We need to be more consistent to God's house. We need to keep our testimony alive and, 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 and center and first and foremost in our lives. That's what we need to do. You don't have to do anything different. Go back and do the stuff you did at first. Return. Return. Just go back. Don't, don't reinvent it. That's a different R-E word. Don't reinvent. Just return. Return. Remember how it used to be. Repent and return. I'm going to close with this. Jonathan, if you could help me. I want to give the consequences, positive and negative, for doing what Jesus tells us to do. There's consequences for not doing it. There's consequences for doing so. Look at verse 5. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Now look what he says. If you don't repent... I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. In other words, Jesus is saying there are some serious consequences if you don't do this. So let's, let's lose the idea that we can walk out of here saying, you know, that's a good idea. I might get into that. Maybe with the new year, I'm busy right now. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you fail to do this, there are some ramifications here. The, the, the punishment of God is there. There is punishment. There, 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 there's trouble. Folks, I don't want to see that for any of us in here. Especially when it's as simple as going back and doing the things that we did before. But then... We're told in verse 7 that the presence of God is very real for those that do this. Can I read verse 7? Anyone with ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So you ready? To not act on this is the punishment of God. But to act on this is the presence of God. I'd rather have his presence. I'd rather have his presence. Yeah, eternity, absolutely. I want to be with him. But you know what else I love? I love his presence right now. And that's what I need. And it's hard for me to live in the presence of God when I'm far from him, when I've forsaken my first love. And I think the Lord would say to his church today, remember how it used to be, how you used to love him and how you used to love other people. And today Jesus would say, repent. Ask for forgiveness for where you're at. And then 
return and go back and do the things you did at first. That's how we get our first love back. I think that's the message that Jesus has for his church right now. Not just the first century, but the 21st century. Let's get our first love back for him and for other people. You want to see a life change? Get your first love back. You want to see your church changed? Let it be full of people that have their first love right where it needs to be. And that's when you'll see a change, not only in your life, but in the people around you. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me? So how do we respond to this? We remember. And looking at faces, some of you, that was clicking. Because you remember how it used to be. Maybe it was just weeks ago. Maybe it was months ago. Maybe it was years ago. But you remember how it used to be. That love you had for God and for each other, and it's just gone. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you had a bad experience somewhere. And you know what? We don't diminish that. We don't minimize that. But as I love to say, we're not going to maximize it either. We dare not let those things keep us from our love for God and for each other. We just can't. We can't. And so today, Jesus would say, remember how things used to be. Repent. And then make the decision. See, the whole returning thing, that doesn't happen here. That happens out there. That happens in the car. (laughs) That happens when you get in front of your computer. That happens when you go to work or school tomorrow. That's when the returning takes place. But for now, we could certainly remember and repent and ask God to give us the strength to go back and do what we did before. Can you say amen? So my question is, have you lost your first love? And if so, today, the Lord is here to say, remember, repent, and return. You could do this. You could do this. Because Jesus will never call you to do something that you and he cannot do together. I'm going to give you a chance to talk to the Lord. Maybe you just need to sit in his presence and do some remembering. That would be great. And then once you're done remembering, you, you repent. You say, Jesus, forgive me. And then you make the determination to go back, to return, once you walk out those doors today. So if you need to spend some time with the Lord, Will you do so before you leave? Jesus? Wow, Lord, this message that you wrote still applies today. God, if we have lost our first love for you or for one another, Lord, would you today, through your Holy Spirit, bring to remembrance how things used to be? And God, we repent of that. We ask you for your forgiveness for that. But God, we dare not stop there. Lord, we walk out of this place determined to return and do what we did before. So if somebody here needs to make the determination to read your word every day, if someone needs to make the determination to pray to you every day, 
If someone, Lord God, needs to make the determination to tell their spouse they love them every day, speak to our hearts. And I'll thank you as we see your work and all your people. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen. If God's released you, you can be dismissed. If you need to linger in his presence, do so before you leave. God bless you.